Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. The governor outlining uh, additional measures and a vaccination rollout plan for the state of Maryland, especially now as vaccines enter into the marketplace for first responders, frontline workers, uh, as well as senior citizens in nursing homes. And we, of course, will continue monitoring that story uh, to to break down all of the the breaking news that has gone on just within today on the vaccination front. I want to bring into this conversation Riley Griffin, Bloomberg Health reporter. Uh, and Riley, you know, I I, I got to be candid here. The the Moderna says that the United States is going to purchase 100 million more vaccine doses. So much optimism as it relates to government officials like Larry Hogan, Governor Hogan. Uh, and, and even just frontline workers now being able to get vaccinated. What do we know about the timetable for when folks are really going to be getting the vaccines in Ernst? It's a great question. Well, well, to harken back first to last week, it was a momentous one in the race to develop a vaccine because Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, were the first to see their experimental shots authorized by regulators on both sides of the Atlantic. Now, with Moderna, we haven't yet seen that emergency use authorization, but that could come within the week. What we saw today was FDA staff release documents ultimately confirming that they see the vaccine as safe and effective, which will pave the way forward to what we call an advisory committee hearing that is taking place this coming Thursday. And during that meeting, we'll see independent advisors turn to U.S. regulators and give a recommendation whether or not to move forward with an emergency use authorization. Thereafter, we could see an EUA granted within days. For Pfizer, that happened last Friday, a, a momentous moment. And what that meant was within this very week, we've seen 2.9 million doses. By the end of the week, we'll see that amount go out to U.S. hospitals um, and nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. So this is happening in real time, day by day. We expect that 20 million people could get doses immunized in the month of December. But remember, these are two-dose vaccine regimens. So those same people will have to get a second dose coming in January. 30 million people will get initial doses in January. By the end of March, a total of 100 million individuals will have had at least one dose. That's so, the initial rollout. These are two-dose regimens. Yeah. And the broader public will have to wait till late spring, um, early summer to get immunized. Riley Griffin is with us, Bloomberg Health Reporter, just doing such great reporting in terms of tracking virtually every single development for all of the major big pharmaceutical companies and where the vaccines lie. I just want to uh, hark back just briefly to Governor Larry Hogan. Uh, he has reactivated the Maryland National Guard to provide logistical support for COVID-19 vaccine 
distribution. Again, Governor Larry Hogan, a centrist Republican, uh, speaking uh, just within the last couple of minutes. And he says, quote, today I am reactivating the Maryland National Guard. The Guard will be providing logistical support, end quote, for uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. So, Riley, I guess let's talk about it in phases for Mm -hmm. for. for the average person trying to understand when they will be able to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So right now you've got Governor Hogan and other governors uh, deploying the vaccine for frontline workers and whatnot through uh, people like the National Guard. When do we enter in the phase where you can go to your local drugstore, for example, like you would for a flu shot and get the vaccine? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I I think the answer is late spring, early summer for the general public. Um, Operation Warp Speed, it's a U.S. effort between the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Defense to distribute these at the state-by-state level. States, of course, are actually ultimately responsible for allocation, but the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they're the ones who give recommendations on who this goes to first. And we know that Medical workers are going to be first, as with long-term care facility residents. Then you'll have more frontline workers. You know, right now this isn't necessarily going to the postmen, the the airline captains, and so forth. But that could be next. We're actually going to get a recommendation from the CDC on who comes after this first wave of doses this very weekend. So let's keep listening for that guidance. So this weekend, this is important. I want to unpack this because there's been so many different threads that have emerged in the conversation about the vaccine. One of them is whether or not teachers and teachers unions will back getting vaccines. What do we know about the union issue, Riley Griffin, Bloomberg Health reporter, in terms of vaccinations for industries that are unionized? It's a great question and not one that I've been following incredibly intimately, but I imagine that this will come up in the CDC meeting this coming weekend. And this is happening in real time on a daily basis. And one thing to note is that the questions have to be revisited again for each and every vaccine because of their very different qualities. You know, there are more than 200 vaccines in development more than 50 of which are in human trials. And we're only just seeing the first wave of vaccines reach people right now. And to be clear, they're not on the market. They are not purchasable by private entities. So when you say, I want to unpack this, when you Mm -hmm. say private entities, because this is important, when you say private entities, you mean the local drugstores, right? The CVSs, the Walmarts and whatnot. They can be allocated there, but for example, a private company could not purchase doses because these these vaccines have not gotten a full approval. They've gotten an emergency use authorization that allows the government to help strategize and allocate doses that have been purchased by the government itself. So Operation Warp Speed has bought doses from Pfizer. They have secured supply from Moderna. These are not on-the-market products that any, any given person or company or union can negotiate supply for. It has to go through government entities and thereby through the states. And so if the states determine that teachers are among the next wave, that will be the right course. But it's not something that's necessarily just up to the unions from the outset. This is so fascinating. I mean, folks, Riley Griffin really just 
just translating for everyone what is how this process is playing out. So right now in Annapolis, Governor Larry Hogan, a Republican from uh, the state of Maryland, the governor there, uh, giving a press conference saying that he is activating the National Guard to help distribute the vaccine. What Riley just explained to us is that as these vaccines have become authorized through the government, through the emergency uses usage authorization, the government purchases it from Pfizer, from Moderna, and then they deploy the vaccines to the frontline workers, the hospital personnel, and whatnot. So we're still a couple of months away from going through the process of a vaccine being administered like you would for the, the annual flu shot. But what prep work is being done right now in the private sector supply chain with the public, public-private partnership, Riley Griffin, for making sure that the drugstore on the street corner is prepared to administer what likely will be a mass, mass demand to get that vaccine quickly, efficiently, and immediately in the couple of months. To put it in the most basic terms, you're seeing rehearsals play out at the state-by-state level. You are seeing local pharmacies practice with flu shots and other kinds of vaccines, what it would look like to have such a mass vaccination campaign taking place in their facilities. And the government is aiding that, of course. The DOD is bringing the logistical support to Operation Warp Speed. They are buying glass vials, syringes, freezers, um, dry ice, all the tools that are needed to maintain the vaccine at appropriate temperatures so that it does not spoil. This is incredibly important, and the drug makers are right there with them. Pfizer, for example, has a control center where it tracks the movements of its vaccines from point A to point Z and knows the temperature of its coolers along the way. So, so many stakeholders are involved in this process, both in the public and private sector. It truly is an amazing thing to watch unfold. And this week is it the is. first it's time hopeful. we're having the chance to do that in real time because only yesterday did we see from New York to North Carolina some of the first get those jabs in hospitals, whether at Duke University or here in various facilities in New York. It's just quite an incredible feat. But we do have to make sure that these same people go in for their second dose. I, I worry that that's not been communicated to the public clearly enough. You are not granted full immunity until you have that second dose. Is that for every vaccine or is that just for one of the vaccines? That is for Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine. That's also for Moderna's vaccine. So, so the it's a two shot. Vaccine. It's a one yeah. two shot. It's a one two punch. All right. It's so we're going to start saying that. Punch. And you've got to go back once you get it. You got to go back to get the immunity. You know, you can't cut corners. That's one thing we've all learned in 2020. You got to show up. You got to grind it out. And you got to get the one two punch vaccination front. Riley Griffin, Bloomberg Health Reporter. You know, yesterday I I had the. an amazing opportunity to have another interview with uh, David Rubenstein, who our executive producer, Christine Barada, booked for us. And he really, I thought, drew a comparison back to how we're all living through this monumental moment. And in the 45 seconds that I have left with you, what do you think the logistical legacy will be decades from now? Uh, he compared it to the Manhattan Project, but this is much more on a public service scale. Uh, from the vaccination distribution effort that we're seeing unfold in real time? 
I hope that there's something to learn from Operation Warp Speed, which is a, a means of uniting different bureaus within the U.S. government, but also cutting out bureaucracy. I mean, they've managed to cut time in safe and effective ways while still mm-hmm. ushering these things to market. Nobody thought that we'd be able to see within a year's time a vaccine offer. Less than a year. Less than a year. Riley Griffin, excellent reporting. I hope you'll come back and join us again. Bloomberg Health Reporter. Much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Operation Warp Speed now delivering vaccines all across the country. How is it playing out and influencing fiscal stimulus talks? We'll check in with the co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, Scott Gottheimer, in the next hour. Plus, meanwhile, Leader McConnell vows to stay in session until they get a deal. We have a lot to get through. Anna Edgerton kicks things off. Day two of the vaccine being administered in the United States with the aid of the government. And just within the last half hour, Governor Larry Hogan, a centrist Republican from Maryland, announcing that he is now bringing in the National Guard to help administer some of the first vaccines to frontline workers. That is the question of the day for all policymakers across the country. And President-elect Joe Biden speaking to reporters at an airport in Delaware on Tuesday earlier today said, well, he is going to be listening to Dr. Fauci about when he himself will get the vaccine. Dr. Fauci recommends I get the vaccine sooner than later. I want to just make sure we do it by the numbers and we do it. But when I do it, you'll have notice and we'll do it publicly. The president-elect traveling to Atlanta, Georgia, for a campaign rally to try to win back a majority control of the Senate. And we'll have more on that coming up. But meanwhile, the pressure mounting on lawmakers in Congress. And we've got sound on the stimulus as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell vowed to keep Congress in session until they get a deal. Here's what he had to say earlier. We all know the new administration is going to be asking for yet another package. It's not like we won't have another opportunity to debate the merits of liability reform and of state and local government in the very near future. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer said he wants more funding for vaccine distribution, much more than the $6 billion allocated in a bipartisan COVID-19 relief package. But he held off on commenting further ahead of a key leadership meeting. 
and we'll bring you the latest developments on that meeting, which is likely underway as Schumer was set to meet with Speaker Pelosi and Leader McConnell, as well as House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Secretary Mnuchin this hour. Anna Edgerton covers all things for us as a Bloomberg politics editor. Anna, we could get some major headlines crossing the terminal in the next hour or so about what happened in that leadership meeting. What do you expect will happen? Yeah, this really is kind of the do-or-die moment if this is going to happen this week, because both chambers have to pass this legislation, and they're trying to do it before government funding runs out at midnight on Friday. So what we're looking for is any signal from Democrats that they're willing to go ahead with a measure that doesn't include extra funds for state and local governments. That has been the proposal from from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, that they kind of leave controversial things to the side, and with a bipartisan group of Senate yesterday kind of endorsing that strategy. We're going to be looking for Democratic leaders to go ahead with that. So specifically, this Problem Solvers Caucus proposal, which essentially said we're going to vote one lump without the state and local aid and we'll pass and we'll try to pass a second lump on the state and local aid. Is that is that strategy going to work or no? Yeah, you know, there were there were two controversial provisions that have been holding up negotiations for months. It's the state and local aid and also liability protections for companies. So if they can put aside those two things, you know, the argument for Republicans has been to move on with what has broad consensus. Now, we'll kind of see what the final package looks like, but there's a chance that they could try to find some middle ground. For example, like you mentioned, Schumer said that he wanted more funds for vaccine distribution. Well, most of those funds will go to state and local government. So they have a way of saying, well, we didn't get the $160 billion we wanted, but the local governments are going to have more resources to do what they need to do to fight the coronavirus. Do you think that will work for Republicans who are bristling at the notion of spending so much money and deficit hawks trying to seize on the cusp, really, of seizing control of the Republican Party and making this more a much more Tea Party-esque argument akin to 2009? I think it will, because most lawmakers are getting a lot of pressure from back home to go ahead and pass some kind of coronavirus relief. So if they can say, you know, we held off the $2.2 trillion that Democrats said that they wanted before the election, you know, this looks like a good deal for deficit hawks, even though, you know, to put things in perspective, this is way more than the relief package after the 2008 financial crisis. I believe that was $639 billion. So to say that, you know, uh, roughly, I think, $748 billion is what we were coming at, to say that that's the pared down package, that's still a lot of funds to prop up the U.S. economy at this point. So as this moves forward, if there is not fiscal stimulus, or even if there is fiscal stimulus, what are the chances that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is going to be willing to negotiate? And not just on a we, we, we so I want to correct myself in advance. It's, this isn't a McConnell negotiation. He's the leader of the entire Republican Party at the negotiating table representing them. What are the chances that that ideology is going to be willing to spend more of a down payment for President-elect Joe Biden come early February of next year? Yeah, that's a really good point, Kevin, because, you know, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has even switched her rhetoric concerning this deal, saying this isn't a stimulus package. This is a relief package. This is just a bridge to get us 
through to the Biden administration. And that's her way of explaining why Democrats have come down from that $2.2 trillion figure. So they're definitely going to come back for another bite of the apple when Biden is president. But what that looks like, you know, we'll have to see how it's packaged, whether it's presented as kind of like, you know, a big infrastructure package so you can get the economy going again, can you know, build back better, as Biden likes to say, and create green jobs, you know, that's going to be kind of a more ambitious proposal and a more uh, kind of a tougher legislative haul. Right now, it's really just kind of crisis assistance, you know, making sure that these measures that people are counting on to pay rent, to, you know, not have to declare bankruptcy, to feed their families, to, um, you know, put off paying debts that they can't, that they can't meet this month, that those measures are taken care of by the end of the year. All right. And we will have careful analysis of, again, that meeting that is going underway right now between leadership and Secretary Mnuchin on Capitol Hill. uh, And we'll check in with Congressman Josh Gottheimer, a Democrat from New Jersey in the next hour, co-chairman, of course, of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, I want to pivot now to the other big story today, and that is uh, Joe Biden and the Electoral College win. We have sound from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on uh, President-elect Biden's win of the U.S. election uh, from the Electoral College. Here he is. As of this morning, our country has officially a president-elect and a vice president-elect. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden The president-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. At the White House, Kayleigh McEnany also weighing in on the continuation of litigation. The president is still involved in ongoing litigation related to the election. Uh, Yesterday's vote was one step in the constitutional process, so I will leave that to him and refer you to the campaign for more on that litigation. I thought I thought our colleague Tom Keene of Bloomberg Surveillance put it really well in the last minute that I have left with you, Anna Edgerton, uh, that the Attorney General William Barr story has now just become a sideshow. But what do you think the legacy will be of Kaylee McEnany's comments today about the Electoral College win uh, as the litigation, she says, is continuing? Yeah, I think that's a good question for all Republicans and all of the president's allies at this point. They were kind of seeing a, you know, a scale of lines of where Republicans are willing to stop in their support of the president. You know, some uh, continuing to support his efforts to overturn the results of the election, some kind of drawing the line at the Electoral College saying, you know, now this constitutional process is playing out. We can't really pretend that there's an avenue for the president any longer. So you know, we saw where Mitch McConnell came down on that today. Right. And and many other senior Republicans that kind of joined him in recognizing Biden as the legitimate winner of the election at this point. Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg Politics Editor. I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out, a sound on shout out to Cora, baby Cora, uh, who I think <laughs> I I've heard. Background. <laughs> she's oh, uh, but she's the she can come on this program anytime she wants. Anna Edgerton. She's I cannot a big wait sound to meet her. Fan. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Cora, of course, is her beautiful baby girl. Uh, and we send all of our congratulations to our colleague Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg politics editor. Uh, and we will definitely be catching up with her in the weeks ahead. Much more coming up next. We check in with Cameron Kreiss on the markets. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. 
Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Tomorrow, Senator Bob Casey, Democrat from Pennsylvania, calls in. Uh, Let's get a check on what happened in the markets today. U.S. stocks halted a four-day losing streak as Congress moved toward a federal spending package that would boost the economy. Treasuries retreated. The S&P 500 rebounded from its longest slide since September. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he will keep lawmakers in Washington until a deal gets done. I do want to bring some uh, uh, reporting into this that Leader McConnell, Speaker Pelosi, Secretary Mnuchin scheduled to meet this hour along with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Capitol Hill to continue discussing the state of fiscal stimulus. We'll have much more coming up with Nadim Elshami, who was the former chief of staff to to Speaker Pelosi. Uh, He joins me all next hour, as does Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff for Senator Mike Lee. Cameron Kreiss is with us. Cameron is a Bloomberg News macro economic strategist. Cameron, uh, the news uh, coming from Washington, D.C., much more so than the vaccination front, really impacting the markets. What are they seeing that lawmakers aren't here in in the nation's capital? Oh, well, I, you know, I don't even know if it's the D.C. stuff. I mean, same, the you're, D.C. You're stuff. To, you're, I have to interrupt. To, I love that. Christine Barada. That's what we're going to call the show. The D.C. stuff. I love it. Go ahead, Cameron. You know, you're closer to it. And, <laughs> you know, you're following every little nuance of this. Uh, I think from a from a slight uh, remove uh, in terms of financial markets, I mean, a lot of these headlines sound the same. I mean, how many of these confabulations do we have between Pelosi and McConnell and Mnuchin gets in there? Uh, You know, I think it's, yeah, it's hopeful, but it's been hopeful since August. And we're kind of, you know, the clock clock is ticking. Uh, So I'd be a little loath to say that the market went up on everyone's really excited that they're finally going to do something because – They've been talking this way for so long. I'm not sure that, that uh, from my perspective at least, that there's much new in, in, in this other than perhaps McConnell saying uh, that he'll keep them there as long as it, it takes or that, frankly, that McConnell recognized Joe Biden as the president-elect. I mean, I, you know, maybe there's a – being able to say that one plus one equals two is a step forward, I suppose. 
Cameron Kreis is with us, Bloomberg News macro uh, economic strategist. Uh, in terms of the vaccination efforts so far, no major disruptions in the first 48 hours of the administering of the vaccine uh, with the government's support in the United States. Moderna's vaccine deemed safe by U.S. regulators, clearing the way for a second shot to quickly gain emergency authorization in Europe. Regulators will review Pfizer's vaccine earlier than planned amid growing pressure to approve it quickly. A lot of that pressure because of what happened here in the United States. British authorities will hold talks on Christmas coronavirus rules after a surge in infections fueled demands from medical experts to stop households socializing over the uh, the holiday. Back stateside, New Jersey administering the COVID-19 vaccine to an emergency department nurse at the state's only public hospital, and New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio telling residents to prepare for a shutdown of all but essential businesses soon after Christmas. Have the markets, Cameron Christ, priced all of this in, or is anything jumping out as unexpected? Well, you know, I, I think maybe a little bit of the nerves yesterday were... Um, from uh, Governor Cuomo in New York saying that New York City might have to might have to shut down. But, you know, broadly speaking, I tell you, it, it, the market has been remarkably resilient in the in the face of the uh, sort of bad news that is right in front of us. Um, in a sense, people are just willing to fast forward three months, six months, whatever it might be. Uh, until we get a critical mass of vaccinations, the world starts looking um, looking normal again. I mean, you could certainly make the argument that markets are getting a little ahead of themselves, uh, maybe overestimating the degree to which uh, a normalization will improve earnings. Um, you could argue that even even a month ago that all the best news was already in the price, and yet. And yet we keep going. So there's this there's this underlying zeitgeist of of you know you hesitate to say bubble, but it, it, of of rampant optimism that the likes of which I haven't really seen since the late 1990s. Wow. Uh, wow. And that optimism very much fueling uh, so much of the swings in the markets. Uh, Cameron, when you look at we, we talked about how there hasn't been any major disruption in the administering of the vaccines that has rocked the markets in the, in the first 48 hours of this. But there will inevitably likely be uh, stories about disruption, politics, maybe even magnifying some of those uh, headline risk disruptors. How are markets bracing for that? And do you view that as a potential risk in the weeks ahead? Well, I think the short answer is they're not bracing for it. Uh, you know, <laughs> basically, you know, we're basically at the highs. So, no, we're not bracing for it. Uh, I mean, listen, uh, early days uh, when the degree, uh, the amount of stuff that's being shipped is relatively modest, uh, and there's only a few people who are um, getting access to it. I mean, for most of us, it's not even an issue yet because I don't, you know, I have no expectation of being vaccinated this this month. Uh, maybe you did. Maybe you can jump the queue. Uh, uh, but most of us no. had no, you know, no, you know, no, uh, no expectation. So it doesn't really sort of punch you in in, in the face the way that maybe um, being not able to get a COVID test uh, might, uh, where it's something that's that's 
that's more immediate. Personally, I think the more interesting risk in all of this is what happens if somebody dies or a few people die after getting um, after getting the vaccination, particularly elderly people who have a high degree of mortality or a high mortality rate anyway, could be completely coincidental. But might that be used in some quarters as an argument not to get vaccinated? Or might there be a pushback against vaccination? Might you see the ghost of you know, Gerald Ford's swine flu vaccination campaign sort of emerge from the ashes? Um, hopefully not, but that's certainly something to consider moving forward. I thought it was really a strong moment and a profile and courage moment when the three former presidents all came out and said that they would jointly receive uh, a vaccine just to instill that public trust from from Americans. Quickly before in the in the remaining time that I have left with you, uh, about 90 seconds, uh, just a, a word on China, which, of course, is heading for strong growth in 2021 as the recovery gathers pace is the anticipation that the Western world will soon follow. Uh, obviously, we got whacked with the pandemic uh, after China did. Well, it comes down to management of the disease, I think, pure and simple. One of the reasons that China has enjoyed such a robust rebound is, despite being the first to to get the disease, uh, certainly if you believe the public statistics, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, but if you believe the statistics and you look at the way people are behaving, they're behaving as if it's well-contained. Um, that's clearly not the case uh, in the West, where not only in the United States, but also in Europe, we're, we're obviously wrestling with this second wave. So we need the public health data to look like China's, in a sense, before the economic trajectory can truly look like China's as well. All right, Cameron Christ, thank you so much uh, for, for your time and for helping us navigate through the currents and the ebbs and flows of the markets and how all of these different dizzying headlines coming from Washington, D.C., but also, of course, from uh, big pharmaceutical companies are impacting uh, the markets and what the markets can tell us about uh, the road ahead. That's Cameron Christ. Cameron, of course, is Bloomberg News macro strategist. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to have Nadim El-Shami, the former chief of staff to Speaker Pelosi, as well as Boyd Matheson, the former chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee for the hour all-star panel as we continue to cover these talks that are underway right now on Capitol Hill for the uh, fiscal stimulus front. And one of the people at the forefront of those discussions, Josh Gottheimer, Congressman Josh Gottheimer. That's coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Fiscal stimulus talks underway this hour on Capitol Hill. We check in with Congressman Josh Gottheimer, Democrat from New Jersey and co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Can there be a breakthrough? Meanwhile, President-elect Joe Biden weighs in on when he will get the vaccine as leaders across the country now working with the federal government to administer the vaccine to frontline workers. A lot to get through. We begin tonight with the big story, the administering of the vaccine. All across the country, including in states like Maryland, governors and leading policymakers are working with the federal government to administer the vaccine. This comes as Governor Larry Hogan, a centrist Republican, saying within the last hour that he is utilizing the National Guard to help administer the vaccine to frontline workers. And President-elect Joe Biden also gave us sound on this particular topic. He says he's going to wait for the cue from Dr. Fauci for when he himself will get the vaccine. Dr. Fauci recommends I get the vaccine sooner than later. I want to just make sure we do it by the numbers and we do it. But when I do it, you'll have notice and we'll do it publicly. The president-elect made those remarks to reporters earlier today before he traveled to Atlanta, Georgia, where he held a campaign-style rally in the, ahead of the Georgia runoff on January 5th. And we'll have much more on that coming up. But meanwhile, back on Capitol Hill, the vaccination efforts influencing and adding urgency to the fiscal stimulus talks. And just within the last hour, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell meeting with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. Here's what he had to say about trying to get a deal. We all know the new administration is going to be asking for yet another package. It's not like we won't have another opportunity to debate the merits of liability reform and of state and local government in the very near future. Leader McConnell vowing to keep the Senate in session throughout the holidays until there is a deal. I want to bring into the conversation two former chiefs of staff to two of the major players in these talks. Nadeem El-Shami is the former chief of staff to House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi, now, of course, Speaker Pelosi, and Boyd Matheson, the former chief for Senator Mike Lee. He is now an opinion editor at the Deseret News. Uh, Mike, Senator Lee, of course, a Republican from Utah. Thank you both for joining with us. Uh, Boyd, you and I have talked about this before, but Leader McConnell is representing the conservative movement in these negotiations. They feel, based upon my reporting, that if they spend too much money now, that there will be a complete fiscal uprising once President-elect Joe Biden is sworn into office and that talks of another deal will not ever materialize. So what political tightrope and how much of a tightrope is Leader McConnell walking right now as he virtually this hour negotiates with Speaker Pelosi? Yeah, I think this is pretty much uh, business as usual <laughs> uh, in Washington. It's 
it's the fact that, you know, whenever American citizens hear the word behind closed doors, uh, it should send a a shiver down our spine because usually uh, nothing good is going to come out of that. Uh, And sadly, this is what's going to happen. They're going to be behind closed doors. They'll have those uh, talks. They'll come out. They'll shrug their shoulders. They'll say, uh, you know, we haven't been able to get to anything. Uh, and, and it will just continue on that way. And the, uh, the the challenge for Leader McConnell, obviously, is they they do need to get something done before the end of the year. Uh, and 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 remind everyone that uh, we still have to fund the government by Friday. Uh, so you know, a lot of these fake fights, false choices, and and cliffs uh, are are there mostly for the members of both parties, uh, so that they can do fundraising and that uh, they end up uh, being in a place where they don't have to be accountable. So, uh, sadly, I think we're going to see this for a couple more days. Uh, I think they'll probably get some version of a of a skinny bill that they can limp across the line as as part of a deal to fund the government into January, and then we will do this all over again. The spending's just ramping up, and it's uh, both sides have been doing this for decades now. Uh, so, no big surprises here. I don't want to get too ahead of the story because we still find ourselves in the middle of these negotiations. But no doubt the fiscal stimulus debate is a debate that many Republicans, including Senator Mike Lee, wants to have uh, come February of next calendar year. Nadeem Elshami, let's keep focused on on the matters at hand. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer said he wants more funding for vaccine distribution than the $6 billion allocated in a bipartisan COVID-19 relief package. The co-author of that proposal will join us this hour, uh, Congressman Josh Gottheimer. But he held off, Schumer did, on commenting further ahead of a key leadership meeting, uh, the meeting that is underway now. Is vaccine distribution money translation for state and local government aid, Nadeem El-Shami, is this a way to sell this to Republicans? Uh, well, I don't know if it's a way to sell it to Republicans. And, and the, the one thing that we all uh, would agree on, Republicans and Democrats, is that the vaccine is being given today, and we need as much resources as possible to ensure that it's delivered, that it's transported properly, uh, that those who need it right away are getting it and uh, as this process continues. So so I think if, if you talk about vaccine distribution money, as, as uh, Leader Schumer did, and, and saying that uh, we need more money, I think that's that's a topic that could be discussed during that meeting. But look, the, the, the interesting thing here is that there no piece of legislation has been talked about more than the COVID relief package. Uh, package. You've had... The HEROES Act, you've had HEROES 2.0, you've had HEALS, you've had the gang of uh, 908 and the Problem Solvers Caucus with Congressman Gottheimer. So now it just comes down to a decision. What could pass? Uh, Where are the leverage points? What could get over the finish line? Additionally, you know, they're talking about the omnibus appropriations bill funding the government for, for a full year, which is actually a good thing. Uh, for the economy and stability, and a good thing for uh, businesses all across the country to have that sense of normalcy coming back. So, I, and, and I'm more hopeful that uh, they, they would reach an agreement uh, sooner than uh, than a couple of days. Um, I think that the clock is ticking. The deadline is Friday at midnight for the government to, to shut down. So, I think I, I do hope that they will reach an agreement uh, earlier. And look, you know, for, for getting more money for vaccines. Who would disagree with that? But I don't think it's code for more state and local funding. 
Nadim, let me let me ask you this in the 90 seconds that we have left in this block. Nadim Elshami, former chief of staff to, to Nancy Pelosi. When does Speaker Pelosi have more leverage? When she's negotiating with President Trump in the lame duck or with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in the lame duck? You know, she – well, that's a very good question, actually. She's actually negotiating with both, right? Because at the end of the day, the president has to uh, sign the legislation. And don't forget that uh, Secretary Mnuchin is actually on the phone during these conversations. So it's, you know, it's the, it's the big four uh, plus Secretary Mnuchin. So he's so the, the, the president is actually – part of this conversation so and i bring um, that up and we're going to have much more on this on this conversation coming up because the elephant in the room is georgia and that's what we're going to talk about coming up next is georgia and how that's trying that how uh leadership in both on both sides uh speaker pelosi leader mcconnell are are trying to wait it out to see how georgia is going to inform their ability to deploy political capital. Panel stays, Boy Matheson, and Demel Shami. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Look up. Look at the sunset. Gorgeous sunset in the nation's capital. Almost looks like someone lit a candle in the sky. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, also a, a chef to some extent. And I will totally be making Cerilli chili tonight in the slow cooker for ahead of the, the complete dumping and pummeling of snow that the nation's capital is going to get. Uh, that Boyd Matheson doesn't have to get out in the desert in Utah. Boyd Matheson, of course, our Republican insider. He's with us for the hour. Opinion editor of the Deseret News. Boy, do you get, or maybe you do. Do you have snow this time of year in Utah and Salt Lake? I I have already shoveled snow. Uh, did it again this morning. And so we do that. Not the D.C. kind where, you know, two snowflakes uh, have a conversation <laughs> and everybody starts screaming, shut it down, shut it down. Don't be a hero. Cook up your chili. Get some bread and milk and, and stay home. No, we, we do real snow out here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I love a good snowfall, especially if it means that I can I can make some Cerilli chili. Okay, yeah. headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal right now. Uh, 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 House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, says that some good progress has been made on the fiscal stimulus front. We've been carefully monitoring the comments coming out of this meeting underway on Capitol Hill, and there is likely going to be another meeting, Minority Leader McCarthy says, at 7.30 p.m., Eastern time this evening. Wow. So a break from the leadership meeting and McCarthy comes out and says congressional leadership will meet again later this evening. Optimism, I would take it, Nadim Shami, former chief of staff to House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi, who of course now is speaker. If you have a break in a meeting and you schedule another one for that night, is that a good sign? Uh, Absolutely, but uh, first I'm coming over to your house for uh, for chili tomorrow. <laughs> Wear, a Wear a mask. Wear a mask. No, I'll probably be stuck in my driveway with two uh, with two inches of snow. So, uh, but, but on a serious note, uh, look, you know, we, we all need to laugh because you know, the 2020 has been rough for so many people. There's no question about that. So yes. I view what uh, Leader McCarthy just said as as um, 
as an optimistic ray of hope uh, that uh, they'll come back. And look, and, I, and I've been in these meetings, and so has Boyd and, and, and others, where, you know, you, you kind of run through some things and then, you know, some assignments are given and say, all right, talk to your staff and come back in a couple of hours. Let's just see if we could close the deal or we can make some more progress. So in, the, in these meetings, they're just agreeing to some top-line numbers, and now they just have to go back uh, and, and actually see if they can write up the legislative language um, and, and get to an agreement that way. So, Boy, yes, hope, absolutely. Boy, do you um, think they feel the pressure that Nadim is describing? I mean, on a, on a human-to-human level, they've become last names and headlines. But do Leader McConnell and Speaker Pelosi, McCarthy, Mnuchin— they're, they're taking a breather right now. They're working the phones. They're trying to get to a deal. They're trying to caucus and whip ahead of the 730 meeting that we just found out about. But do they understand the pressure that they are under right now to get to a deal? I don't think there's been negotiations this difficult since the 2008 collapse. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that, and I and I think uh, to Nadim's point, I, I think they are feeling it in a different way. Uh, typically, I mean, you can kind of go through the the December rigmarole in Washington, and there's there's kind of the usual drama, but then every, you know you get the jet fumes going from everybody wanting to get out of town and get home for the holidays, uh, and it usually greases the skids and things get done. This year, it does feel different to me, uh, and I think they do feel some of that pressure of hey, the the country's kind of had it, folks. Uh, and they, we do need to get this done, uh, not to solve our political problems, but to solve the American people's problems. Uh, and so my hope is that if they're, uh, if they're making this kind of progress, I hope they can step it forward, deal with the, the budget as well. I also want to go back to Nadim's point, which is probably the unspoken uh, stimulus that we could have for 2021 is getting a, uh, a budget done through all the way to September to get that certainty in the market so that businesses can be assertive and aggressive and move forward. Uh, because if we're, if we're just doing uh, continuing resolu- resolution to continuing resolution, you know, six weeks at a time, uh, that's going to really kill and continue to stymie the economy moving forward. So I, I do think there, there's a glimmer of optimism there. I think they are feeling it in a unique way because of the pandemic. Uh, and I hope they can push it all the way through not for their political futures, but for the future of the country. Again, if you're just joining us, a headline crossing my Bloomberg terminal just within the last several minutes. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy says congressional leadership will meet again later this evening uh, at, in, in about two hours. They're taking a breather from their negotiations, paraphrasing now. Uh, but he says that progress has been made. Uh, and as we are gleaning from these negotiations, it would appear a step in, a, in the in the direction of reaching a deal if they are going to reconvene this meeting at 7:30 tonight was not originally on the schedule. Let's pivot now back to the president elect because he crossed the threshold in the electoral college and was acknowledged from Senate majority leader Mitch McConnell earlier this morning. We've got sound on that. As of this morning, our country has officially a president elect and a vice president elect. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. The President-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. 
meanwhile, the litigation effort from the president, the current occupant of the White House, President Trump's orbit continues. Kayleigh McEnany weighing in. The president is still involved in ongoing litigation related to the election. Uh, yesterday's vote was one step in the constitutional process, so I will leave that to him and refer you to the campaign for more on that litigation. Boyd, I bring this up because yesterday with the with the news that Attorney General Bill Barr is resigning, these, these litigious efforts still continuing. From your perspective, when you talk to Republicans in a conservative state like Utah, how is this playing? Uh, you know, Utah has a, an interesting relationship with uh, with President Trump, and uh, they also have an interesting relationship as it as it relates to uh, kind of the rule of law and then moving forward. Uh, and, and I think for most people, I think with the completion of the Electoral College work that uh, was done yesterday, I think everybody is uh, all ready for the pivot. And and it's okay. It's okay to have litigation and, and challenges and all of that after an election. We have that after every election. Uh, and now it's yeah. time to, to pivot and, and move me, forward. I think people are, are ready for that. Let me jump in here. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, headlines crossing the terminal, says that he thinks there's an agreement and that they are not going to leave without aid. Again, more positive, more positive talk coming from these negotiations. We'll carefully monitor them. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Panel Stage. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I love that song, the classics from the Great American Songbook. Irving Berlin wrote it, cheek to cheek. I seem to find the happiness I seek. I love that lyric. So important in 2020. I listened to that song on repeat uh, back in March. Uh, Headlines crossing the Bloomberg Terminal, and we are monitoring so many stories tonight. Uh, Chief among them, the fiscal stimulus negotiations ongoing, but halftime uh, from leadership. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell meeting with Speaker Pelosi, Secretary Mnuchin, Minority Leader McCarthy, and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. They're all meeting. They were scheduled to meet at 4 p.m. Eastern. Then we just got word from reports that they stepped out of the meeting for a break, but they've added a second meeting in two hours' time which is being received as a massive, massive positive step on the fiscal stimulus front. Meanwhile, my colleague Mario Parker traveling with the president-elect's motorcade as 
President-elect Biden finishes a rally in Atlanta, Georgia, a campaign-style rally for the two Senate Democrat or the Democratic Senate candidates in the Peach State, Raphael Warnock uh, and John Ossoff, where he says, President-elect Biden says, that it will dramatically impact his ability to govern should Democrats win those two seats. I want to bring back into the conversation Boyd Matheson, former chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee, now the opinion editor at the Deseret News. Please go read his columns. They are largely apolitical and fascinating reads. You can check them out on the Deseretnews.com. Nadim El Shami is with us. He is the former chief of staff to House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi. Nadim, how much is Georgia going to inform the way leadership in both parties negotiates currently in the lame duck as they finish it out ahead of January 20th and also once President-elect Biden is sworn in on January 20th? Well, they can't wait until January 5th when the election is over and all likelihood it's going to take a few days to find out who the winners are. Um, but the deadline that's staring the both the, the both leaders in the House uh, and the Senate is uh, Friday of this week. Uh, while everyone has dreams of, of winning both seats, um, either getting in the majority or keeping their majority, um, they, they really are not thinking about that right now. Boyd is absolutely right. What they're thinking about is, we have to do what's right for the country, and, and it's a it's a good thing to have leaders negotiating with that in mind instead of a um, a, a political um, race or a political deadline. So um, while they could talk about it and, and we could talk about it, I don't think that's entering into the conversation because they really have to make a decision tonight uh, if we're you know if, if they want to vote by Friday. Uh, in order to be able to uh, write the finish the bill, post the legislation, everyone to review it and get it on the floors and, and vote on it. So um, I, I just don't this think it's going it. into the equation. Yeah. So if they don't get it tonight, just to be clear here, there's no chance that they can do this post January 5th, for example, after the Georgia runoffs, Nadim. No, well, no. I, look, I mean, they're going to get it done. I, I truly believe they're going to get it done before they leave, right? If they don't get it done tonight, um, maybe it could end up with a day or two of a, uh, of a continuing resolution so the government doesn't shut down type of uh, type of action. But I do believe they will get it done. They're not going to wait. They're not going to go home um, without a piece of legislation being sent to the president that funds the government, that deals with COVID and with some other things as well. I, I think it's too important. Um, and, uh, and having the four leaders and the secretary there, it's, uh, it just demonstrates the urgency of the matter and, and, and the seriousness of it. You're right. I mean, they've talked to each other for, for months now, but this is it. Um, and, and they realize that. Uh, and coming up, we're going to check in with Congressman Josh Gottheimer, the co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus. He is a Democrat from New Jersey. He is going to call us from Capitol Hill uh, Justin, within the next uh, 10 or so minutes. So we will bring you that interview. Obviously, he is at the forefront of these fiscal stimulus negotiations, and we will be asking him precisely if he's optimistic that a deal gets done tonight. 
Let's first, though, uh, pivot now to what's on the panel's radar. Boyd Matheson, what's on your radar? <laughs> the, the, the one thing that's on my scary radar that kind of connects with everything we've been hitting this hour uh, is, is actually what's happening by unanimous consent. Uh, okay. you know, unanimous consent was, was set up uh, as a way to move things along, uh, particularly in the Senate, where you can you know, name a lot of post offices and do you know, low-level stuff. Uh, but sadly, especially at the end of a Congress, it has been uh, become a new way. It's kind of the new earmark. Uh, it's a way to get things through uh, spending and uh, you know big pieces of uh, uh, of legislation in a really backhanded, <laughs> behind closed doors uh, kind of way. And so I'm I'm watching that really closely. Uh, I'm sure Nadim had a few of these experiences too when he was chief of staff. That you know as soon as you hear that UC roundup is is coming, uh, you just know there's going to be stuff in there that you either need to object to. Uh, or buy into or take a lot of heat back home for. Uh, so that's what I'm watching uh, over the next couple of days is what actually gets passed and moved through without anybody really reading it, checking in on it, uh, or having a good debate in front of the American people. And that right there is probably the biggest difference between the public sector and the private sector and government service and private uh, and the private sector is that would never happen. In, in the uh, where a board of trustees would be able to ram something through. But for whatever reason, in our uh, imperfectly perfect union, there that that UC rule has has driven Democrats and Republicans mad for for years. So that's you're absolutely yeah. correct. And in the in the, the fog of these upwards of a trillion dollar deals, there's always that UC uh, that's uh, tucked away. And in this case, in an omnibus and a fiscal stimulus negotiation. Nadim, what's on your radar? Well, it's, uh, you, you actually took something I was going to say, certainly the UCs. But, but another item that's on my radar, though, is what else is going to be added to the omnibus appropriations bill along with the COVID relief package? What other bills have been negotiated? Uh, and most of them have passed committees. But what, what other things that Congress is going to attempt to do um, at the end of the year by a vote that's going to be included on this package just because well, the rules of the Senate didn't allow it to happen or because there wasn't enough time in the House. So I think that is something to watch. Uh, there's going to be some, some other uh, titles uh, along with, uh, with those bills that are going to be pretty uh, uh, chock full of, of, uh, of uh, bills that uh, will finally get to the president's staff. Fascinating. For me, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the different cultural rollouts and uh, on the vaccine effort. There's a harrowing development that emerged uh, on the Bloomberg terminal from my colleagues reporting uh, on how the Hispanic community has suffered outsized pain in the latest U.S. COVID surge. The newest wave of COVID-19 is inflicting outsized pain on Hispanic communities in the United States. Nick Corolo reports the seven-day average of new cases in heavily Hispanic areas became worse in those with smaller such populations earlier this month, and the rate broke a record every day since December 3rd. This rate is 32.6% higher than the national rate. Predominantly black areas, unlike Hispanic areas, have reported below average new cases for recent for rates for months. Uh, and of course, this underscores the deep persistent inequities in the way that the coronavirus has harmed the health and livelihoods of vulnerable groups. That very much uh, should be on the minds of all of us. 
And then there's this this interesting development internationally on the vaccine rollout, this coming from Indonesia. And my colleagues report, Indonesia plans to vaccinate its young working age population against the coronavirus before the elderly, in contrast to the rest of the world. We check in with Congressman Josh Gottheimer. Coming up next, I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Headline crossing my Bloomberg terminal, President-elect Joe Biden plans to tap Jennifer Granholm for energy secretary, citing Dow Jones. Meanwhile, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said congressional leaders will reconvene at 7.30 p.m. this evening to continue discussing COVID-19 relief and a crucial government spending package. McCarthy met with Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, the group continuing to try to finalize coronavirus aid to attach to the spending bills before funding for federal agencies runs out Friday at midnight. It comes less than 24 hours after the Problem Solvers Caucus, a group of bipartisan lawmakers co-chaired by my next guest, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, Democrat from New Jersey, unveiled a bipartisan proposal. Congressman, thank you for joining us. Are you optimistic? Is this a sign of optimism that the leadership is going to be reconvening in about 90 minutes? What will get done? I, I think this is certainly a sign of uh, this is good news, and, and we could use some good news right now. Uh, we've we've got to get this done before we go home uh, for the holidays. And, you know, frankly, it's, it's been a long haul, months and months of, uh, of waiting, and I think the country has finally made clear to, to everyone that they're sick and tired and that they're demanding action. And uh, so I'm glad I'm glad it seems like the thaw is finally occurring here. Congressman, from your perspective, when you talk to your Democratic colleagues, the media has widely reported this issue of aid to state and local governments as the major sticking point. But dive into the weeds with me, because it's much more complex than that. Well, so... So I co-chair a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, as you mentioned. It's 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans. We've spent really the last six weeks or so with a group of uh, senators, bipartisan as well. So you're talking about the House and the Senate getting together uh, for uh, daily calls for literally the last weeks to try to find common ground. You know, we, we put out a $908 billion framework for a package which covers everything from unemployment insurance extension uh, to uh, helping our small businesses with another round of PPP to ensuring that we have food support for those who are hungry and support for our schools and uh, and for uh, for rental payments. It really is a, mer- a short-term emergency relief package, very focused to get us through the first quarter of next year. The package I think you're going to see, um, I hope, come out of uh, leadership discussions is very similar to that. The one piece that's been uh, uh, contentious for the last weeks in these discussions has been the state and local support for local governments to help our teachers, our firefighters, uh, uh, law enforcement, 
And many of our states, as you know, and local governments are facing a very tough time now with shortfalls in revenue and with high COVID expenditures. Um, some states much more than others, and that's where the rub has come in. Um, a lot of uh, red states don't want to do more resources for state and local governments. So what they've said is if you want that support, if you want to help state and local governments, and we put down $160 billion for a short-term emergency down payment relief, they wanted some liability, more liability reforms to have liability protections and shield for some of uh, cases that they believe will be coming up. Uh, so that, that's been the last sticking point to get the state and local dollars that the Republicans said, and this is something Mitch McConnell has pushed for for months, said that we want liability protections, liability shields. Uh, we, many of us, have been working uh, for the last weeks as well to find a bipartisan compromise there. It's tough. It's very tough. You want to make sure that you uh, uh, allow, you protect good actors, uh, small businesses and, and nonprofits, but those who've been bad actors and not done the right thing, make sure that they don't get off scot-free. And, and, and that's really been the challenge getting past that. So what we ultimately might look at, this ultimate package, I believe, will, will if we can't get there on state and local and liability, will be somewhere in the neighborhood, I think, of $750 billion based on what we had negotiated as a bipartisan bicameral group. Plus, I think there's a decent chance that direct checks are added to that. Um, and uh, that's something the president has wanted. Uh, so that might be ultimately where this goes. So it'll be it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens in the next hours. Congressman Josh Gottheimer is with us, a Democrat from New Jersey, a co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, a bipartisan group of lawmakers. How was the pro- how was the Problem Solvers Caucus able to get a threshold number, a price tag, a price tag top line number, seemingly while leadership in both parties were not able to do it? Is it because is it because the notion of your caucus is bipartisanship? Well, you know, it's an amazing thing that can happen when you actually spend time with each other, get to know one another, talk to one another, and listen to one another and build that trust, right? I mean, it's like everything in life, it's about relationships, and, um, and you understand. But it's also, I have to interrupt, out, it's know? also an understanding of wanting to work together and not yes, that, yes. looking at it and from not that perspective. Each other. Yes. Yeah. It's not, it can't, everything can't be, you have to, but the whole point is, as you know, in any negotiation, it can't be that you insist on 100% or nothing, right? If you say, I'm going to get, I'm only going to do a deal if I get everything I get, it's impossible. You also can't, you also can't just go out every day and beat each other up in public and tweet nasty things and, and go on cable television and yell at each other and say, yeah. like, you actually have to work together. That's how this, and, and I believe, frankly, this model, especially because we're going to have a, a very, Slim majority in both houses, regardless where it goes, uh, of Congress uh, in, in the in the new year. That's the only way we're going to be able to get things done and and put, get Joe Biden's agenda uh, implemented is if we're willing to actually work together. Uh, well, put country ahead of party. Well, I think this. I wanted to bring this up, Congressman Gottheimer, because I remember when uh, President-elect Biden spoke in Delaware after uh, he won uh, the state of Pennsylvania, and he gave that address and said that he believed that he had a, quote, mandate, that the American people, rather, had elected Congress and he himself president uh, with a, quote, mandate to cooperate, end quote, (laughs) mandate to cooperate. And Mm -hmm. there was chatter before that speech of progressives and conservatives spinning the results, saying that they had the upper hand, that conservatives won big or that uh, progressives won big and that the party was moving to the left and that the the Republican Party was moving to the right. The president-elect got up there and said, no, 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 no. 
he acknowledged that Republicans made gains in the House. He acknowledged that uh, Democrats uh, were closing closing the majority in the Senate and said a mandate to cooperate. I bring this up from your perspective as a politician. Do you feel that in this administration that the consensus builders, that the bipartisanship-minded policymakers have more political capital now heading into a new administration? I do, and I, I as you said, I think that's a great quote he brought up, and he also talked about unity that night, and we've got to come together as a country. Uh, you know, I, I think after this great division of these last years, and frankly beyond these last four years, but uh, uh, people are exhausted. They want us to actually govern, and they're sick and tired of years going by where they need help. They need they they need us to do our jobs, and and frankly, uh, all they get is a lot of noise and and division. So I think Joe Biden is exactly the right person to bring us together. I think he's putting a cabinet in place that can bring us together. And it's going to be up to us in Congress to make sure we live up to that. And, and that's, again, what gets back to the point where I believe the way to govern and get things done in the new Congress will be to do, A, common sense ideas, and B, for us to actually, Democrats and Republicans, to sit at the table together, because if we don't, Nothing will get done. It's, and, and, and that is the only recipe for success. I know not everyone on the far left or the far right is going to like that. I get it. They're going to want to scream and yell and go the same old you know, division. But I, right. I just think that that's the past. All right. Congressman Josh Gottheimer, thank you, sir, for, for the time. He, of course, is the Democrat from New Jersey and the co-chairman of the bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. Tomorrow, we check in with Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. My thanks to the panelists, as well as to the congressman, Boyd Matheson, Nadim Elshami, and Congressman Gottheimer. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Stay safe out there. Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. This is Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.